Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. If you are a guest with us, if you're joining us online for the first time, uh, my name is Stuart McRae. I have the joy of serving on staff here as one of the pastors. And uh, well, I'm just excited to be able to bring God's word to us this morning. So Galatians chapter 4, if you're still turning there, here's a question. When you think about Christmas, what comes to mind? What comes to mind when you think about Christmas? Jesus' birth? Yes. What else? The cookies? The cookies? Maybe the classic movies? The classic music? The Christmas tree? Family? Presents? What, what comes to mind when you think about Christmas? Does adoption come to mind when you think about Christmas? Well, it did for Paul. Let's, let's read Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And thinking about God's adoption of us, you know, it, it occurred to me that this might be the doctrine that we, that we live out and enjoy the benefits of the most. And yet I, I wonder if, if, this, if this doctrine, this biblical teaching of adoption is actually what we spend the least amount of time considering. I think we spend a lot of time considering justification and sanctification. I think the list goes on. I wonder if adoption, though, is one of those doctrines that we actually spend the least amount of time considering. And it's a wonderful book, uh, Knowing God, and I, I want to encourage you towards that. It's in the, it's in the sermon, in sermon notes. I want to encourage you, uh, in particular, chapter 19, uh, Sons of God. This would, be, uh, this would serve you well in considering about this doctrine of adoption. But in Knowing God, J.I. Packer wrote this, what is a Christian? The question can be answered in many ways, but the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, he says, find out how much he makes the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. He says, our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. And then he concludes, indeed, the truth of our adoption gives us the greatest insights that the New Testament affords into the greatness of God's love. See, brothers and sisters, you are God's child. And the creator of the universe is your heavenly father. When was the, the last time you deeply considered this, this spiritual reality? You are a child of God. Does this reality prompt and control and inform your worship of God? 
Does it move you to fellowship with him in prayer? Does, does this, that you are God's child, control and inform your whole outlook on life? Well, we're going we're to consider the doctrine of adoption this morning. Paul shows us in our passage that one of the greatest gifts of Christmas is divine adoption. Through the sending of God's Son, God adopts us as his sons. As Christians, we, we ought to celebrate Christmas because it brought about our adoption. Now, verse 4 has us jumping into the middle of a conversation, so let's, let's get some background before we begin. The, the church that Paul wrote to in Galatia was made up of primarily Gentile, that is non-ethnically Jewish Christians. So, made up primarily of Gentile Christians. And after Paul left the Galatian church to plant another church, uh, a group of false teachers came in after and started influencing, influencing these young believers with a false gospel of Jesus plus certain aspects of the Jewish law in order to be saved. To be clear here, the Galatians became captivated by legalism. Pertaining to salvation, legalism is any attempt to gain acceptance or forgiveness from God through one's own merits or efforts. The Galatians were in the process, listen, the Galatians were in the process of abandoning the gospel by adding their obedience to the gospel. And the Galatians' understanding of the law and of its purpose was wrong. The law was never meant to save. The law was meant to expose man's sin and need of a savior. So in order to protect the Galatians from misusing the law in chapter 3, Paul reviewed Old Testament history. Here's what he showed. He showed how God gave Abraham a promise to bless all the families of the earth through his offspring. How God then gave Moses a law which, far from annulling the promise, actually made it more necessary and urgent. And finally, how the promise to Abraham was fulfilled in Christ. So that everyone whom the law drives to Christ inherits the promise given to Abraham. Then, in chapter 4, Paul continues explaining the law's purpose. Israel under... The law is likened to a child waiting for their, their inheritance to come in. They're, they're, they're likened to a child waiting for their inheritance under the care of guardians. The child doesn't own the estate yet. It's theirs in promise, but not in experience. That's why Paul likens the child to a slave, because neither have practical ownership rights. The, the child will receive ownership rights at the date set by his father. Now, the Galatians being Gentiles were, were fairly just unaware and unfamiliar with the law. That said, they were still nevertheless enslaved. Verse 3 and 8 describe their enslavement. Verse 3, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Verse 8, formerly, when you Galatians did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God. So, so everyone, both Jews, Gentiles, enslaved, unable to free themselves, and were in desperate need of a salvation that only God can provide. So verse 4, let's reread it again. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, 
born under the law. Two words, can't miss them, but God. But God. Our adoption was not planned by us. Our adoption was God the Father's gracious plan. We, we did not determine our adoption. God the Father devised our adoption. There are numerous times in Scripture where we hear this, this triumphant and glorious shift from hopelessness and despair to, but God. Listen, with great love and intentionality, God the Father planned our adoption. And his plan had a right time and a right person. His plan had a right time and a right person. Paul wrote, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Three, three quick observations about this right timing in which God sent his son. First, it was the right time culturally. The Greek language had practically become universal at this point, and this would enable the gospel to go forth to the known world. Second, it was the right time politically. Rome had conquered and subdued the surrounding nations, and as a result, they built roads throughout. And, and practically, these roads would enable missionaries to go out to the far corners of the known world, spreading the gospel. And third, in God's providence, it was the right time theologically to send his son. As one author says, everything that was going on in the Old Testament was leading up to this point. The promise to Abraham had been given. The law of Moses had done its work to drive men to anticipate Christ. Over 300 prophecies had been given. All of it aimed toward this time. The author says Christmas didn't just happen. It was the culmination of a plan devised in the eternal counsel of God before the creation of the world. God's plan had a right Time and God's plan for adoption had a right person. But God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Paul gives us three descriptions of Jesus that make him the right person to carry out God's plan of adoption. First, Jesus is truly God. He was sent forth by the Father. <laughs> you see, before Jesus was Mary's son... He was God's son. Jesus is the pre-existent, fully divine, infinite son of God who alone can bear the infinite wrath of God. Second, Jesus is truly man. Paul, Paul wrote, he was born of woman. Philippians 2, 6 through 7 says, though Jesus was not in the form of God, he did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And then finally, third, Jesus is fully righteous. He was born under the law. To be born under the law is to be under the law's power and authority to judge and condemn a person. But unlike any other person who was under the law, Jesus perfectly and righteously, with no sin, fulfilled the demands of the law. John Stott helps us with what we cannot miss here. The divinity of Christ, 
the humanity of Christ and the righteousness of Christ uniquely qualified Jesus to be man's redeemer. If he had not been man, he could not have redeemed men. If he had not been a righteous man, he could not have redeemed unrighteous men. And if he had not been God's son, he could not have redeemed men for God and made them the sons of God. But God sent forth his son. Listen, family, we, we did not move towards God. In Christmas, in love, God the Father moved towards us. God took the divine initiative and moved towards his enemies, people like you and like me, to bless those who cursed him and to love those who hated him. See, sisters and brothers, we, we ought to celebrate Christmas because in it we see God's plan and initiative in bringing about our adoption. And how did God secure our adoption? Verse 5, God sent forth his son, verse 5, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The redeeming work of Christ on the cross secured our adoption. The redeeming work of Christ on the cross secured our adoption. Now, there's a difference here between those whom we adopt and with those whom God adopts. Before our adoption, we, we weren't orphans. We were slaves. We were slaves of the law, slaves to sin and Satan, and were enemies of God. Listen, let this humble yourself. God did not redeem innocent children for adoption. But those who were by nature children of wrath... And this redemption was costly, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. <laughs> redemption, the glorious purpose of God to free hopeless slaves through the ransom price of his son. In redemption, the power of sin is broken. The prisoners are set free. We receive a new, gracious master and the great benevolent God and King. Redemption, it's glorious, it's necessary, but it's not ultimate. God sent forth his son to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. You see it? The, the purpose of God in sending his son did not conclude in redemption. It culminated in adoption. God the Father makes slaves into son through the death of his son. His son. 
You see, Paul grounds our adoption in the death of Christ. You see, it's, it's here in adoption. It's here in adoption we see, as, as I quoted from Packer earlier, we see the deepest insights into the greatness of God's love. John, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Now, the, the main doctrine, the main teaching that Paul is trying to correct in the Galatians' mind in this letter is the doctrine of justification. And as Christians, we, we love, we should celebrate the doctrine of justification. That, that is, being declared right before the judge of the universe by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. How sweet is that? And we should celebrate justification. But, but like redemption, justification is not the end, nor the highest blessing that the gospel provides. Again, J.I. Packer is very helpful here. Long quote, got it on the screens for you to follow along. That justification, by which we mean God's forgiveness of the past, together with his acceptance for the future, is the primary and fundamental blessing of the gospel, not in question. Justification is the primary blessing because it meets our primary spiritual need. We all stand by nature under God's judgment. His law condemns us, guilt gnaws at us, making us restless, miserable, and in our lucid moments afraid. We have no peace in ourselves because we have no peace with our maker. So, Justification is the fundamental blessing in the sense that everything else in our salvation assumes it, rests on it, adoption included. But this is not to say that justification is the highest blessing of the gospel. Adoption is higher because of the richer relationship with God that it involves. Adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love and viewing God as father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship. He establishes us as, as his children and heirs, closeness, affection, generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be, to be right with God, the judge, is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. To be right with God, the judge, is a great thing. But to be loved cared for by God the Father is greater. I think if we're honest, there are some of us who tend to relate to God more as the judge whom we stand right before versus our, our Father whom we, we get to sit on the knee of and be embraced by. We, we tend to engage with God in more transactional ways than in family ways. I wonder if we're being honest, our, our relationship with God could be described more in business-like terms than relationship-like terms. And we, we not only stand right before 
God, the judge of the universe, but in an unlikely turn of offense, that, that judge is now our father. Listen, God is the judge of the universe, but in Christ, he's much more than that to you. In adoption, in adoption, after, after declaring you not guilty, the judge gets up off the bench. He, he moves down to where you are. He wraps his arms around you and he says, come home with me, my child. Some of us understand that we've been redeemed from sin's power and I belong to God as our new master, but some of us do not regularly experience the closeness and warmth of God as our father. What is your experience? Is, is this your experience? Paul wants this to be the Galatians experience and not only theirs, but ours also. Think, think back to the last time that you were struggling with the same sin pattern again. Maybe it was a week ago, maybe it was yesterday, maybe it was this morning. Think about the last time that you felt hopeless, like the floor was just coming out from underneath of you. In moments like those, are, are, you, are you maybe more inclined to experience or think of God as distant, cold, or withholding? Or, or how about this? When you, when you think about how, how God views you, do, you, do you light up the room for him when you walk in? Or are you like the proverbial rain cloud in his day. Brothers and sisters, are, are you more apt to generally describe your perception of God and experience of God with words like closeness, affection, generosity, if not, can I suggest that you might be more aware of your sin than of God's adopting grace in your life? <laughs> Our sometimes fickle experience of, of being God's child based, based on how we are feeling or doing at any given moment listen, does not determine our unchanging status as God's adopted children. Why? Because we did nothing to earn our adoption. We brought nothing to the adoption proceedings to woo God into choosing us except for our sin that made us undeserving. Listen, our objective status as adopted children of God is not, it's not based on how we are feeling or doing at any given moment. Because God's adoption of you was determined in eternity past. In order to make the decision to adopt you have nothing to do with you. 
brothers and sisters, in your doubts and uncertainty of God's love for you and being his child, look away from yourself. Look away from your sin and your circumstances and, and look to your heavenly father who in love predestined you for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to nothing about you or your circumstances, but according to the purpose of his will and to the praise of his glorious grace. In your dark moments of suffering and when sin is looming larger than God's adopting grace, look away from yourself into the cross and remember the costly purchase that God made to adopt you as his son, as his daughter. To those who do not have the best earthly father and or family, Gently, I want to say, let, let this, this spiritual truth encourage you and comfort you. In Christ, the unique son of God, you, you have a loving heavenly father. You have a righteous, and sympathetic big brother. You have, a, you have a family in heaven and on earth right now. You have incentive to live for God. And you have a bright hope for tomorrow. Family, God's adopting grace tells you that you are personally wanted by God. It means that you are loved and will be well cared for. I don't know who needs to hear this, but you are no mere friend of God. You are a child of God and a brother to Jesus. Well, God does not free us from slavery into nothingness. God frees us from slavery into his family all its rights and its benefits. In verses 6 and 7, we see two benefits of our adoption. Let's reread verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. God sending the Holy Spirit into our hearts, crying, crying out, Abba, Father. This, this is the first benefit that Paul tells us of adoption. God the Father planned our adoption. He secured our adoption in Christ. And because we are his children by adopting grace, he gifts us the Holy Spirit. He gifts us the Holy Spirit to assure us that we are his children. Holy Spirit assures us of our adoption. And he does that through the, through the crying in our heart and, and also through the changing work in our heart. The assurance that we are children of God is, is not by some spectacular sign or gift, but, but by the quiet inward witness of the Spirit. As we, as we go to God, childlike faith and prayer. Paul describes this in Romans 8, uh, verses 15 through 16. He says, You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, in our passage, Paul describes the Holy Spirit as the spirit of his son. And I think he does that because the spirit is bringing the heart of Jesus 
into our heart. That the Spirit is bringing the heart of Jesus, which is so clearly seen in him praying, into our hearts, which in turn is so clearly seen in our praying, in our desire to pray, and in our actual praying. In other words, listen, a powerful evidence and assurance of divine adoption and, frankly, becoming more like Jesus is revealed in your praying. Think of it like this. We, we, are, we are robbing ourselves of assurance. We are robbing ourselves of the comfort and care of our Heavenly Father as, as we do not go to Him in regular fellowship and prayer. Now, Paul is not saying, Paul is not saying that God loves you or that you are his child because you pray. No, just the opposite. God loves that you come to him in prayer. But prayer, prayer is not the root of adoption. Prayer is the Holy Spirit empowered fruit of adoption. The reason prayer is an assuring work of the Holy Spirit is because our prayers are prompted by his inner cry. In other words, you would not go to God in prayer if the Holy Spirit was not prompting you to go. And that you do, it gives evidence and assurance that the Holy Spirit lives within you, and thus you being an adopted child of God. Listen, if, if you're a child of God, and you can be confident that the assuring cry of the Holy Spirit lives within you. This is the cry that prompts you to pray. Now, that said, Paul's letter to the Galatians, and, and I think our own experience tells us that we can grow desensitized to his voice. And what's more, in sinful ways, we, we can quiet that Voice For the Galatians, the, the, the voice, if you will, that they started listening to was legalism. The, the, that voice that falsely assured them of God's love and acceptance through their obedience. Now, there are many voices that contend for our attention and seek to give us assurance, false assurance of hope, of peace, Love, self-worth, affection. What, what voice is contending for your attention? And my God sent the spirit in our hearts crying, Abba, Father, to assure you of your adoption and to drown out the other voices. It's his voice that we need to be listening to. Holy Spirit seeks to assure you of your adoption through his cry. The Holy Spirit also assures you of your adoption through his changing work in your heart. Now, <clears throat> this is not in our verses. This is in Galatians, so I want to mention it, but we're not going to spend long here because it's not in our verses. This comes up later in chapter 5. So let me just say this. The Holy Spirit comes into your heart he comes to your heart also to transform you more into the family image of Jesus. 
You, you see, as the fruit of the Spirit blossoms in your life, it gives evidence of his changing work in your heart, and so assuring you that you are a child of God. Okay, the second benefit of our adoption, uh, verse 7. Let's reread it. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Being an heir, this is the second benefit of adoption that Paul gives us here. Now, Paul gets personal in verse 7. We don't, we don't maybe see this in the cursory reading. But in verse 6, it's plural. It's like you all. In verse 7, he gets singular. And look, he's trying to make it, he's trying to bring it home in a personal way here at the end. And so what he's saying is, you are a son of God. You are a child of God. You are a daughter of God. You and you and you. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And of a son, through adopting grace, then an heir. Oh, notice the certainty of the promised inheritance. It rests on the God who gave it. You are an heir through God. Now, adoption was practiced by the upper class in these days, those who had an inheritance uh, worth giving. And in this day and culture, a father's inheritance was given to the eldest male child. And if a father did not have a son at all, then he would go and adopt an, an older, young, but older male child. And this child uh, was, was his son uh, by legal rights. This adoption was of necessity. He, he would, out of necessity, adopt this young male. But this young male then would be legally son and given all the benefits of sonship and rights of inheritance. And, and maybe what's more, this father's legacy would then continue on through this now son. Not so with God. It was not necessary for God to adopt us. God had a son who, as Hebrews 1 says, is appointed the heir of all things. There was no need for God to adopt you and I. Nothing necessitated his adoption of us, but in love, in adopting grace, God made us his children. And as Romans 18, uh, 8, 17 says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. This grace, this adopting grace should bring us to the end of ourselves and to worship God in gratitude and thanksgiving. Oh, there was no need. There was nothing necessitating God to adopt us. In love, in grace, he chose us. Now, what about this inheritance? What is this inheritance given by grace? Well, certainly it's eternal life. Certainly it's the new heavens and new earth. But listen, our glorious inheritance is nothing less than gaining God himself. God is the great treasure. Being with him forever is the ultimate gain that we inherit. David says it so well in Psalm 16, 5. He says, the Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. Look, this news of this inheritance, God's gift of himself, does this thrill you? 
disappoints you. To be sure, John, John Piper confronts us when he wrote, the gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It is a way to get people to God. It's a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. If we don't want God above all things, we have not been converted by the gospel. I I would modify for our sermon and say, if we don't want God above all things, then we have not been adopted by the gospel. Can you affirm with the old hymn, Be Thou My Vision? It says, Riches I heed not nor vain empty praise, thou mine inheritance, now and always, thou and thou only, first in my heart, high king of heaven, my treasure, thou art. One of the sweetest promises in all of scripture is when God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will always be with you. And he is as our father God is the greatest good that the gospel gifts us. He is the great treasure of our inheritance. And we get to enjoy his never leaving, never forsaking presence now. Family, by God's grace, let us not waste one more minute fooling around with worldly pleasures and self-satisfying interests, but by his grace, let us enjoy the love and comfort and presence of our Heavenly Father now. As we, as we close, did, did you notice the Trinitarian view of adoption in this passage? The the father planned our adoption. The the son secured our adoption and the spirit enables us to presently experience our adoption as children of God. The, The Trinity loves us so dearly and planned our adoption, accomplished the work of redemption necessary to adopt us and applied adoption to us as God's sons and daughters. Family, one of the greatest gifts of Christmas is divine Adoption. Through the sending of God's Son, God adopts us as His sons, as His daughters. And as Christians, we ought to celebrate Christmas because it brought about our adoption. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, how sweet it is to be able to call you that. You are our perfect, gracious Heavenly Father. And in Christ, in the, in the giving up of and the sacrifice of your Son, you've called us and chosen us to be your sons, your daughters. God, I pray that, that your scripture brought a compelling vision of adoption and that compelling that if there are those that are listening that would say that that's, that's not them, but, but that that's compelling. Father, would you do the work to adopt? Father, for those of us who, who were wildly encouraged, sensing your 
your love for us, your desire for us, would we just be more encouraged to to dig deep into this doctrine of adoption? Would it inform our thinking, our approach to you, our whole outlook on life? We give you thanks in Jesus for adopting us as sons and daughters. Amen.